0: Welcome to the Paychex HR Leadership Podcast Series. Today's topic is turnover. Our guest speaker is William Tincup, president of Recruiting Daily and known for his no-nonsense approach to human
1: resources.
0: Thanks for joining us, William. Absolutely. Happy to be here. So tell me, why is turnover such an important topic to cover as we start this new year?
1: Well, I think, I think there's a couple of reasons. Uh, turnover uh, is both good and bad. In an era where we are right now, where it's a high talent market, meaning talent's harder to get, it's harder to recruit, it's harder to find. Uh, turnover can be a kind of a death nail to a business because your talent you can find yourself uh, talentless. Uh, pretty fast. So you've got to have your finger on the pulse of turnover even more so today than in a down market. And we'll dig into kind of some of the other parts of that, but you gotta have the finger on the pulse of why turnover is happening, specifically what are the drivers of turnover. But turnover is it's one of our it's one of our key metrics in HR. It'll always be one of our key metrics and it's even more so today
0: are people measuring the costs of turnover? And is it a little more complex than we would initially assume?
1: Oh, absolutely, Rob. You've got kind of the hard cost uh, of some sorts of, you had to find that talent. So imagine imagine a world where people are at a desk, right? Well, at that person, before they were at that desk, you had to find that talent, you had to market to that talent, you had to recruit, interview, um, and then once, you gave them an offer letter, they accepted, um, then you had to onboard them. Then you, on some level or another, you had to train them, right? So all of that is cost. Then it's the opportunity cost, once they're gone, of that job not being done whilst they're not there. So there's all kinds of, that's just, that's just table stakes. Um, so there's all kinds of hard costs, there's all kinds of costs to be associated. Um, and some people, I think, are looking at that cost and saying, well, what about retraining? You now, maybe we made a bad hire in sales, let's say, um, and Jan or Bob's not great in sales. Okay, instead of, instead of letting them go, is there another place where we could use their skill set? You know, maybe we miss, missed there, but they're a good culture fit or they are aligned with our values. Maybe there's another place that we can use them and let's just retrain them into that new spot. Uh, and that's that's a way you can kind of offset some of that cost, but you still have to source that talent, market that talent, recruit that talent, train, teach that talent.
0: You mentioned soft costs. What what are those?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing about soft costs for me is morale. So morale as a soft cost uh, of turnover is the reason it's called soft. It's, it's emotional. It's feelings. It's, if I start seeing the people that I know and respect leave the firm uh, in droves or even ones in twosies, I start getting an antsy feeling about the future of the company. And it's hard to stop that. Once it starts snowballing, it's really hard to stop that uh, morale uh, from going down to drain.
0: So that's a great uh, a a clear description of when turnover can be bad
1: right are there times where turnover can be good oh absolutely Uh, it's a great question rob like we've all worked with um bad bosses or or even bad employees you know uh peers when they leave either voluntary or involuntary when they leave there's a little bit of a celebration because that person Now they're gone and we don't have to deal with that poison anymore. I think there is a celebration, it might not be a public celebration, cakes, champagne, stuff like that, but there is a celebration of the soul. It's like, that person's gone. Like you've tried training, you've tried retraining, you've tried to put them in different positions and they're just, you know, some people show well in the interview, let's just call it what it is. Some people talk well, some people show well, some people kind of show up and they're there and you're like, oh my gosh this is amazing. Uh, How can we live without this person? And then all of a sudden they get on site and uh, they're horrible. So turnover in that sense of either poison or cancer, kind of the same thing, and ineptitude, just someone that's grossly and just not good at what they do.
0: So you'd mentioned involuntary turnover. I always thought of turnover as employees leaving me. (laughs) <laughs> can you expound on involuntary turnover a Yeah, bit? yeah,
1: yeah. So, so in, in the cases where the employee chooses to leave, really you can separate that into regrettable and not so regrettable. Not so regrettable meaning, mm, you know, the firm's not really going to be hurt that much. Or, oh, my God, that was the one of the best people at our firm. We should probably figure that out. In, in the case where the company decides for you to leave, um, there are occasions where that is regrettable, oddly enough, um, and usually those are for cause. Um, so you take, again, take Bob, the VP of Sales, you know, great salesperson, fantastic quota, uh, you know, matching person, uh, also serial sexual harasser. So great talent. Uh, but also the risk factors associated with sexual harassment in this day and age, actually, ever, but in this day and age, you just can't deal with that. So, great talented person, you don't want to, regrettable, you don't want to lose them. Yeah, you have to fire them. I mean, you have to fire them. It's, it's no, it's not even a case. So there are there are some justifications for cause, uh, for where the company separates, but. Uh, But you'd really like for that not to happen because, again, it's regrettable.
0: So you talked about finding out why a a good employee leaves. Uh, Is that via uh, an exit interview? Do you conduct them all the time? Uh, Can you trust what you hear in exit (laughs)
1: interviews? (laughs) So I don't believe in exit interviews. You're just not going to tell the truth, Uh, generally. uh, Even the most honest of people... In that scenario, they're going to say, well, you know, I had a better opportunity, you know, da-da-da-da-da. They're going to tell those things. So I don't believe them at all. I think stay interviews. So uh, the concept of why, why are you still here? So instead of after when they've made the decision or we've made the decision for them to leave, um, doing a quarterly, uh, could be monthly, stay interview that says, hey, how are we doing? uh... you know you obviously chose to be here you're still here we're happy that you're here what's driving that? what's engaging you to stay with our firm those are stay interviews if we conduct stay interviews we don't have to worry about the exit interview
0: whose responsibility is that i mean i've, I've found that turnover can be a bit of a taboo topic with
1: <laughs> hr yes it's a. Uh, It's the single most important. If HR were to boil down to one thing, and and we know that it's not. It's a tapestry of thousands of things. But if it were to boil down to one thing, it would be the retention of top talent. That's it. It comes down to do you have the ability, does your firm have the ability to retain top talent? Yes, no. So whose responsibility? Great, great question. Uh, Board, executive team, all of HR. And uh, to some degree, subordinates. So it's everyone's responsibility to make sure that that talent stays there. And uh, it's something that every board meeting should be talking about. You know, are we keeping our top talent? Are we, are we uh, engaging them? Are we, you know, are we giving them the things that they need, the tools, the resources to, to make them want to stay? Not be forced to stay, but want to stay. Once someone leaves, the very moment we know that they're leaving the firm is the very moment we start the investigation. Why? And again, talking to the top talent and saying, "Hey, why'd you leave?" You know, uh, you can you can get you can get some. Maybe you can glean a thing or two from that. But I think it's it's going to be stuff that they're not telling you.
0: You touched on a lot of things that can keep an employee engaged, or or lead to turnover, or lead to a, a, a voluntary departure, what would you say the, the three things are that, that HR departments are overlooking in terms of trying to keep that top talent, keep them
1: engaged, and, and keep them with the company? The thing is, is that it's career path. You know, is one of the first things that I'd start with, is I'd like to know what I'm going to do next. But that's a routine question for people under 30, and even people older than that with options. So that is uh, a bit of career planning, career pathing, uh, succession planning, training and development, it's a, it's a lot of things. But basically what it is, at its core, is I've thought about you, and i thought about what you'll want to do next, and I've already thought about that path. And that goes all the way to recruiting. And recruiters aren't great at having career-pathing discussions with candidates. But we have to have identified what they're going to do next and be able to communicate them, which means that HR has to communicate more with recruiting. Recruiting needs to communicate more with HR on what's working and what's not working in a career-pathing discussions. Second, I think it's it's a game of personalization. Take two people of basically the same, like Twinkies, if you will, uh, and you, you're you down to these two candidates, and you love both of them. Underneath each of those people is something completely different. and It's getting to the heart of that, what drives them? I mean, some of it could be very simple. It's like, hey, listen, how are you driven? Like asking the questions uh, and finding out, okay, career path, we've answered that, check. Um, what drives you? What motivates you? There's no perfect answer because it's a fingerprint, it's yours. Yours is gonna be different than mine, mine's gonna be different than yours, right? Skills development is one of the most important things you can talk to a candidate about. It is you know, you, here's, here's how we see your skills. So you've learned these things and you're at this level. Okay, so it's kind of finite, there's a box of knowledge. Now, we can do two things, or potentially three. We could either work on your strengths and make them deeper. We can work on your weaknesses and shore them up, or we can do both. What do you want? So now let's talk about skills planning and, uh, and working on a person's skills, acknowledging their skills, and having a plan that basically says, we're going to, while, while you're here, we're going to work on your skills. And it goes back to an old adage that, that uh, I think CEOs and CFOs used to kind of have of, well, what if we train them and they leave? And it kind of got moved over, well, what if we don't train them and they stay? Right? Now, that throw all that out because it's very 90s and early oddish. It's, it's really a game of every candidate that comes in the front door wants their skills developed in some way, shape, or form. They might not bring it up. They might not bring career pathing up. They might not bring up what drives them or personalization up. It's our job on the recruiting side to find those things out, hiring managers, to find those things out and to solve for them.
0: I would say as, a, as an HR director, I can't necessarily solve for all of those. That There's probably some real culture issues. There's some leadership issues uh, in my organization that maybe tie my hands in that regard.
1: Yeah, you know, you are, you are kind of a made up of a, a larger organization that might have values that are different than that. Here's the, I hate the consulting phrase, where the rubber meets the road. But where the rubber meets the road. It, it, do you want that talent? If you want that talent, then you change. Because the talent isn't going to change. That's the thing. Um, and it's... Uh, we have to recognize that we're in a high-talent market where the candidate has all the control. And uh, if we don't realize that, we're fools. So, you know, again, getting back to integrity or or values in general, culture, uh, ethics, morality, all that type stuff, candidates are really good at kind of sniffing that stuff out. Uh, And they're not afraid to... uh, Pull the ripcord really fast.
0: We talked a lot about top talent, but there's no company that's made up of all-star players. How does turnover and retention play into the other eighty percent?
1: Oh, and uh, and you know this is a tough one um, because the other eighty percent is essentially inertia. They're there. Um, But if you were to change the yield of 1% to 2% of that 20% it's the totality of the other 80%. So are they important? Yes, in the sense of the machine still has to run. Uh, And so it's just like a factory line, right? You've got to have people at all of those different places. Are they critical? No. Will they be replaced by robots and AI and all that other stuff? Possibly but they're not critical to the firm. And no one wants to talk about it like that, you know, no one wants to talk about, well, you know, you're not critical. We want to lie to them and tell them, tell everybody that they're critical. Everybody's important, everybody gets a trophy. Uh, But the truth is that the other 80%, um, and this is not a a popular topic, but the other 80% doesn't matter.
0: Is there maybe even a desire to turn over that 80%
1: to find those gems, to keep building on your top talent? There you go. That's exactly right. But it really kind of gets down to, in that 80% of talent, as you turn those folks over, you could find some, some gems, and you should. You should find some gems in there. Keeping people just to keep people, you know, it's inertia. I mean, you won't always believe in the potential of people. I mean, I, I think that's just kind of human nature. We want to believe that people can get better. Uh, the the not-so-pleasant truth is everyone's got a ceiling. And <laughs> some ceilings are shorter than others. <laughs> so, you know, again, not a popular concept to talk about in HR, but the executives know this. The, the board knows this. And, and so they talk about it openly. HR, not so much, because they want to talk about everybody being, you know, essential. And uh, not everybody's essential.
0: So it sounds like we should expect a degree of turnover. What's the best way to measure that, and, and what's the best way to predict and, and get to where we need to be?
1: Well, I think I think it's, again, at 80-20, you want no, no turnover in the 20%, no matter what you do, right? You just, you want to always be doing stay interviews, you want to have a plan, you want to make sure personalized, you want to do that for the 20%. For the 80%, I think it's realistic to turn that over 10% a year. And I think it's realistic to then try to find those hidden gems, you know, somebody that maybe for whatever reason we've just never asked them to be top talent we've never invested in them. It
0: sounds like this extends far beyond HR it sounds like I want all of my managers thinking this way and cultivating identifying cultivating and looking for ways to make people better or cut their losses.
1: Yep you have two types of managers managers that that uh, build a team or have a team and they want to keep them there like they've got almost the perfect setup. Everybody on their team knows their role and everybody does a you know, decent enough job and they get a lot of credit, money's good, like th- life's easy. Uh, kids are in private school, SUVs, you know, just like everything's cool. And they don't want those people to go anywhere. Those are bad managers. Good managers are the ones that have the exact same setup and then do whatever it takes to train, uh, inspire, educate, etc the people on their team to go and do other things, both within the firm and outside of the firm. Those are great managers. The greatest managers are the ones that you can see attrition. You, you want to see attrition in a good way because the people are getting promoted. They're getting out and doing new things and uh, becoming better at what they do. Those are great managers. So it's counterintuitive in the sense that, well, wait, man, if people are turning over, that, that's, that, that's probably a bad thing. Well, dig into it a little bit further. Are they turning over and going on and doing great things? I love the emails that I have from former employees where they've started their new, new company, or they've gotten promoted at work, or whatever. Like I love those emails because it's like they did it. I, I didn't do it. They did it. But I had a little bitty piece. I had a little bitty piece of it, and uh, that I'm proud of that. And I think that that those are the managers, those good managers that take pride in developing talent. And the bad managers are the ones that just want to suppress. They want it status quo. They want everybody to stay where they're at. No, no change. Nothing, nothing happens like that because they've, they've already got a setup. They know their setup. They don't want the setup to set up the change. And they don't want, the, they don't really care Tough, tough words. They don't really care about their talent that works with them. So let's change gears a little bit here. Sure.
0: You'd mentioned um, AI uh, Mm -hmm. earlier. Is there a relationship between AI and turnover?
1: Yeah, I I believe that we're at the beginning of this. So AI, artificial intelligence, didn't, uh, it doesn't pop out of the womb intelligent. In fact, it pops out of the womb dumb. Uh and so it has to be taught. And so the, you've got a lot of discussions right now around are we teaching AI our biases? It's basically just an extension of our bias artificially. But I believe, okay, so where I think that, that this will be helpful is in the predictive part of, the, of AI in understanding like like a simple thing like LinkedIn recommendations. Okay, so you're looking at flight risk, right? If someone starts ramping up LinkedIn recommendations, they're, going, they're leaving your firm. That's just, that's just is what it is. No one happy in a job, doing their work, you know, doing the bid, goes out and gets LinkedIn recommendations. It doesn't happen. They only do them when they know they're leaving. So, uh, there's a way to predict that. That's called flight risk so i think ai uh, again in the 80% and 20% i think ai is going to play a role of understanding both maybe that potentiality of the 80% and understanding kind of you have a c plus player here you should you know uh train develop you know invest in and also in the predictability about your top talent potentially leaving or potentially wanting to do something different and again that gets back with some of those stay interviews and a lot of the engagement the work that's being done right now the pulse surveys and things like that they're going to take data points from a lot of different things you know how much pto is a person taking off early in the year you know like things like all kinds of data points coming together to say here's what makes flight and and here's why you pay attention to flight and you can, you can imagine that each of us will have like a flight risk number next to our, you know, our, our, portf- our uh, profile. And that's just going to take time. It's going to take time because, again, we're at the very, very early stages of AI. And the, as it learns and as it pulls in more data, internal and external, we're going to learn more about how it gets smarter and predicting something as simple as a flight.
0: Almost sounds like a credit
1: score. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Um, it could be. I mean, here's here's something else to think about. That I mean, that flight risk could take in credit scores as one of the data points. Are you not making your payments? Something going wrong? You know, it could actually you know be tethered to all the uh, the the, uh, the legal databases. Have you filed for divorce? You know, it could be be tied to uh, all the, you know, where they hold all the death certificates. Did your father or mother just pass away? Like, imagine it understanding the life moments. Did you just have a baby? Did you just, did your kids just go to high school or go to college? Did somebody in your family just die? Did you just, uh, you know, stop making your mortgage payments, whatever, like those data points (laughs) not to be too flying cars, but those data points are all accessible. So having those outside data and internal data coming together, it could fill out a picture of a better understanding of where you're at and what you're thinking.
0: So a lot of what we talked about were individual decisions. Um, But do HR, do teams sometimes find problems within the company itself? For instance, a certain department seems to have a higher turnover rate than other
1: areas of the company. Yeah, uh, first of all, if you, you've, you've got to notice. So on one level, you have to be aware, right? So you can't have your head down in the sand. You can't be off thinking about other things. If you're seeing and you're aware and you're seeing that, now again, are they going on and doing great things or are they leaving the firm in droves because of something else? So the investigation, you've got to get in there, you've got to find out, what are the What are the drivers? Why, why is this happening? Because it's happening for a reason. People don't just leave just, just to leave. Uh, they leave uh, for, for very, very, very specific reasons, and we have to find out what they are. And if we start to see that this is a bad manager, that the real reason that people are leaving is that a, a gal or a guy is just suppressing talent because they want their talent to stay still, and those people are leaving because that, that person is just suppressing them, well then we gotta get rid of that person. And it's our job to scream if we have to. When we find those things out, if, if uh, for instance, uh, we find out a department's just grossly underpaid, and uh, it's pretty easy to figure uh, pay out these days uh, and salary out these days. So we know where we're, where we're overpaying, potentially, and underpaying. When we're underpaying, and those are drivers of exits. We've got to fix the problem. So again, HR can be both aggressive and passive simultaneously. I think that being aggressive in interviews and finding out what are the drivers, I think it's a must-have. I think there are times to be passive and be more of a listener of what's going on, a finger on the culture, you know, a finger on the pulse of the culture, things like that, that makes sense. But if we find out that a department is being grossly underpaid, it is our duty to work with the rest of the executives and the board to understand how that problem happened, because it was probably a pay compression issue uh, that happened over time, and uh, fix it. Be preemptive. It's it's instead of reactive. Uh, Be preemptive in finding out about what are the drivers, are we underpaying? Do they not like their work, you know, set up? Do they not like their job? Do they like the responsibilities? Could we carve these out in different ways? And do different things with the talent? But pay, I kind of feel like pay is overblown on some levels. I think we have to know how people feel about pay, really feel about pay. Because some folks would just much rather have uh, virtual work. If you ask them, if you got right down to it said, hey, what if... What well, if you only had to come into the office once every two weeks, but, but we couldn't, we can't bump you another 3%, is, would that be okay? Uh, or what if you had another two weeks off of vacation, but we couldn't bump you another 5%, whatever, 2%, 1%, you know, whatever the thing is. I think giving people those options, you start to find out what really is important. Now, the hard part of that, that we haven't talked about, is it's a kind of an old consumer marketing axiom that the very moment that you understand your customers is the very moment they change. So it isn't a kind of a, I found out what drives Bob, done. It's a continuous process where you're always checking in and always making sure of the drivers and have the drivers change. And uh, because of life events, because of a lot of different factors, you know, people's drivers of why they work, where they work, how they work, they change. They change daily, could be hourly. So I think that, that we have to do a, a better job in HR of finding out one of those drivers all the time, and almost to a point of, of nauseam of making sure
0: I really like that concept of, of proactive HR, yeah. and, and also
1: having more tools at
0: your disposal to keep employees engaged, to keep them satisfied. If someone wants work-life balance, that might be very important. It might be different for another employee who's looking to make more money. Do you, right. see, um, do you see any commonalities between different generations and how they view some of these things or how they view turnover, how a Gen Z person might view turnover differently than a Gen X?
1: yeah um I think so we'll deal with work life balance again, not a popular concept for me because I don't really th- believe in the concept of work life balance. uh I believe you work when you need to work and you do the other things when you need to do the other things, and so that could be a sixty hour week one week, it could be a twenty hour week the next week, you know, or a hundred and twenty hour work week the next week. There's times in which you need to dig deeper and do uh, either intellectually or otherwise, you need to do more work. And there's times when you just don't have to. And in in those times when you don't have to, you should you should give yourself a break. I was reading about uh, uh, Warren Buffett uh, the other day, and one of the things, uh, I mean, you know, we could all learn from Warren Buffett, clearly. Uh, But one of the things, he only puts like on his calendar in a given month, like two or three things on his calendar. Like that's it. There's nothing else. Maybe four, tops. And uh, he goes on to say, "Hey, really, most of what you need to do is just think, and read, and uh, reflect, and listen, and talk to other people. And in those things is where you'll find out everything you need to know." So work-life balance. I think I think people like to like to talk about it. Like it's a concept. Like you can separate work. From uh, your personal life, and somehow you have to balance those out. Yeah, that that's all a lie. We've been lying to people for years about that. That's just not true. It'll never be true, and you shouldn't pursue it as a truth. So I don't believe in work-life balance now. Generationally, if you go back to the uh, the boomers or even Gen Z, I think I think we had a different definition of. work in the sense of loyalty to work. So this is going to be really interesting. So about the time that sports engaged in what's called free agency, we used to have, in this country at least, we used to have the concept of loyalty to a business. Uh, my dad worked for Warehouser for 35 years, you know. Um, and he was loyal to them and they were loyal to him. Worked both ways. The moment that free agency became a thing in sports, it became a thing in corporate America. So now the loyalty got broke between both, both sides. As an individual, I'm not loyal to you. I'm gonna use you to do what I want to do. I'm gonna take on the responsibilities, uh, learn what I need to learn, get what I need to get, and then I'm gonna go do something else. And right. as a company, same thing, it's exploitive. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to use you to do further the business. So I think Boomers and X, the big, biggest difference in them and millennials and Gen Z is that concept of loyalty, which I think we had wrong. I think the millennials and Gen Z are probably more accurate, actually, uh, that there is no loyalty. Do what's in your best interest. Align that, like Ben Franklin said. Align community interest with personal interest. It's the same within a business. If you're there for three months, great. If you're there for three years, great. As long as you're adding value, the executives of today that are still kind of Gen Z, what they've moved to is I want the best version of you while you're here, however long that is. And I want that best version. So you give me the best version, and for however long that you feel like you need to. And there's not that expectation that you're gonna be here for five years. There's not that expectation that you're gonna be here for five months. Like we've destroyed all that. And, and I think in a good way, because it forces both parties to think about what's important and to do what's important and to manage expectations in a much more refined way. Whereas before it was just blind loyalty. I'm gonna get a job, I'm I'm gonna do my job, I'm gonna stay there for a long time, and they'll keep me and they'll take care of me. So in particular, Gen Z. So what Gen Z? Gen Z is different than millennials. So your oldest millennial is uh, 38 years old. Your oldest Gen Z is 23 years old. So that's 15 years, right? So Gen Z is just now coming into the workforce just now coming in, we're college recruiting is essentially what we're doing, or entry-level jobs or, or whatever like that, uh, but they're just now coming in the workforce, so what we're learning about them is they want things on their terms, even more so completely different than millennials. Millennials had kind of a social conscience, uh, they cared a little bit more about work life, like, like. What was interesting about millennials and what is interesting about millennials is they see life differently. Business isn't as important as uh, living a good life, living a decent life, having a great time with friends, etc. Now as they age, that might change, but Gen Z coming right into the workforce, <laughs> it, uh, it's, it's interesting. The data so far, and again, they're, they're young, the data so far is that they're more career-oriented, okay, and they want to make more money. and And they care more about you meeting them on their terms, uh, meeting them where they are, you know, not forcing them to do in the recruiting process, not forcing them to do st- stupid stuff. You know, go to the website and fill out the form. They're like, really? I here, I have my phone. Like, let me do this differently. So. They want you to meet them where they are. They're a little bit more career oriented They're a little bit more, they've seen the wave of Gen X and the wave of millennials, and it's almost like these things are circular, right? They're a little bit more engaged with money and a little bit more materialistic. Now, the fascinating part of that generation and I have uh, two sons in that generation, so I've got to really pay attention to this, is this is the uh, first generation that grew up on the Internet. So Gen Z never can remember a time where there wasn't an Internet. Most of them have grown up with touch computing and uh, swipe computing and and voice computing. So most of them have grown up with you know Siri. You know what's the temperature outside? You know Alexa. What's the what's the pollen count? You know tomorrow afternoon. You know that my my sons talk to Siri and Alexa more than they talk to us, uh, their parents. So uh, I don't know if that's good or bad, but but so they they're growing up differently, and that's going to come to the workforce. So so coming to a job near you is voice computing. Right and uh, you handing them a laptop. Like my, my, my boys, especially my, nine, my nine-year-old, is fascinated by my desktop. Like fascinated, like a big keyboard and a mouse, three monitors, you know. Typical setup for you know, a guy my age. Fascinated, like every time he wants to do homework, he wants to go back to my office and do homework back there. And I'm always kind of curious, like, what are, you, what are you doing in my office? I'll figure it out. And then I'll find out that he's, been playing around on the mouse or downloading fortnite on my on my computer or whatever so it's it's just interesting and all of that comes to work and I don't know if we're ready for that to come to work yet so generations again like, as I said I think there's a whole lot of you know we want to make them as different as night and day you know take a millennial saddle them with uh, some student loans, a mortgage, a couple luxury cars, some kids in private school. And what you'll find is they're pretty much Gen, Gen X and boomers, the same. say, you know, it's, it's just kind of one of these things that just happens in life. Once you start a lot of that other things, you start to kind of settle into a pattern that's a well-worn path of generations before you.
0: So despite these generational differences, it seems to me that an HR team can still have uh, an overarching plan, things they can do right now to really manage turnover in the best possible way.
1: Yeah, I think the, the three things that I would tell HR to focus on is, one of all, don't be blindsided by time, turnover. You know, have a turnover plan. Uh, and Again, you, you know, we've talked about it in, in, in a sense of is turnover taboo? Turn, turnover happens. It's just a part of life. It's, it's like trees in a forest. You know, there, there are trees that just kind of grow up, do their bit, and then they die. And that's just, that's life. Like, we, you know, life goes on. Turnover happens. Do we have a turnover plan? Have we thought about it? And I think it's in being thoughtful that we start to think about how we proactively uh, and in some cases, reactively deal with turnover. And again, turnover can be different with the 80%, 20%. But turnover in general, it's do we have a plan? It's almost like an evacuation plan. You know, do we have uh, the buildings on fire? Do we have an evacuation plan? Well, yeah, probably we we have that. But do we have a turnover plan? And so I would encourage everyone in HR and then bubble that up to executives and bubble that up to the board Mm -hmm. make sure you have an you've talked about it like we if everyone were to come in on Tuesday and quit what would we do you know it's asking that question that forces us to then think okay okay well we have a relationship with the staffing agency so we do this 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 and this like you have an idea an inkling of what to do next so first things you gotta have a plan Second is it relates to regrettable turnover. And the words get, they're kind of interchangeable. I wouldn't say they're synonyms, but they're interchangeable a lot. The hypo, high performers, top talent, grade A talent, A talent, call it whatever you want. Your most critical individuals. And I used to tell people, I'm like, okay, if we were opening an office on Mars, but we only had five seats on the space shuttle, who are we sending? because you're not, you're not sending your C-talent to set up the office. You're sending your A-talent, your most critical. So in that most critical, again, that regrettable turnover, with that group in particular, they're in your succession plan. So within the succession plan, it's how does turnover impact your succession plan? So what I encourage HR uh, professionals to do is have a plan within that plan on succession. So, if uh, Kira leaves, you know Bob's the Bob's the next one to take over. But if Bob's not available, or doesn't want to, can't, uh, etc., then then we've got Nancy, and and if not Nancy, we've got Jim. You know, like we've got a plan within a plan. So as it relates to that top talent, and it's regrettable the relationship to succession. Succession is not finite, it's fluid, and you should also have backups for backups for backups Uh, because, you know, things change. And what we thought was, you know, one of the most talented people in the organization, you know, VP of uh, Sales or Chief Revenue Officer, all of a sudden goes through a bit where they're not that good. And uh, maybe we're still sticking with them, but maybe they're not on the succession plan anymore. So we have to look at the succession plan as a fluid and living document. And so the second thing I would do is challenge HR to just make sure that they understand when we have regrettable turnover, how it impacts us in our succession plan, and have a better succession plan. The third is uh, understanding the drivers of what makes turnover. So what are the ingredients of turnover? Like we know how to make uh, you know, chocolate chip cookies. So do we know how to make turnover? And reverse that out. The harder part of that is that it's personal to the person. So the one reason that, you know, we're we're both top talent, you leave for one reason, I leave for another. HR's jobs, do you investigate and to find out what are the drivers, what made that happen? What were the conditions in which that would even come up, so that's where your stay interviews and engagement surveys and pulse surveys and things like that. Just you know, talking to people like, "Hey, how are you doing?" You know, are we doing everything that we could be doing to make you fulfilled? Over Christmas, I was uh, I was at my wife's great aunt's in Jefferson City, uh, Tennessee. And uh, we were talking about kids. Our kids are in their 40s or 50s or whatever. It doesn't matter. And uh, she said, you know, one thing I did, I, every night when I tuck the kids in, I asked them about their day. A lot of parents do that. And then she said, I'd, and then I'd always ask them, is there anything I can do tomorrow to make your day better? And I found it. I mean, it, 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 it just it blew me away. Because it's so simple, it's a question we should ask, right? It's a question we should ask everyone, everyone, every person we meet, is there anything I can do to make your life better, to make you better, to make you happier? Can I make your life better? Can I make you better? Is there anything I can do? And uh, we should be asking that question a lot, often, not just with top talent, with all talent. We should be asking that question to not just, you know, fill air but to find out, hey, is there something simple? Like, hey, I, I really just need a day off. You know, go, go, go take a, a day off. Years ago, I, I owned a, an ad agency, and uh, we moved from uh, kind of the specific time off stuff, people would request time off, to kind of an unlimited PTO, and people didn't have to give reasons. They just had to give us notice, let us know that they weren't going to be there. Uh, what I loved about it, is people would just go take they take off and they go to the museum or they would just you know go hang out and go to the dog park and uh and hang out all day and i found it fascinating because they were just recharging like they're getting better instead of sitting at the desk and you know faking their way through a day taking a day off and going looking at a you know an exhibit you know and then get recharging and coming back that next day and going Yeah, I feel feel better. I think our job as leaders in HR is to be asking those questions of people. So those are the three things I do.
0: That was fantastic, William. I learned a lot. I'm sure our audience has as well. Thank you so much much. for joining us today.
1: Well, happy to be here. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining today's podcast. Visit hx.com slash embrace turnover for more information about this topic including an e-book focused on turnover.